welcome to the Digging Six Feet Under podcast, where every week we review each episode of HBO's original television series, Six Feet Under, with your host and licensed funeral director, Victor Rubio. Hello and welcome to the Digging Six Feet Under podcast. I'm your host and licensed funeral director, Victor Rubio, and today we are here to discuss episode seven of season two, titled Back to the Garden. I'm here today with returning guest Sean Fallon from the From First to Last podcast. Sean, how you doing? I'm good, mate. How are you? I'm all good. Uh, if you remember Sean, Sean joined me on episode nine of season one, and that title is blanking my head right now. Uh, um... Yeah, Same. it doesn't matter. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, Sean hosts uh, the From First to Last podcast where he reviews the first uh, episode of a TV series and the finale. Uh, me and Sean, we hooked up and we did uh, the Dexter one. That was a, <laughs> a rather fun one to do. Yeah. Uh, coincidence or ironic, whatever. I had just released a podcast today. We're recording this a week behind. Uh, I did uh, and uh, I did with the host. It was Neil McGarry from Nitpicking, the Next Generation podcast. <laughs> and you just happened to release that episode where you did the first and the finale of that episode. I didn't. I didn't listen to it yet because I'm not much of a Star Trek person. Uh, was your episode funny at all? Neil Neil's episodes were so funny because they were just like re- breaking down the ridiculousness of it. What was yours funny at all, or were, were I don't know. I don't know much about Star Trek. It's it is like. I mean, Star Trek is that weird thing of it being like very like straight faced sci-fi, but incredibly funny um, mm-hmm. because it's so ridiculous and the characters are so ridiculous and everything's so heightened. And I think just like <laughs> the through line is that Patrick Stewart is such a good actor that he can make the whole thing work, even though it should right, fall right. apart around his ears. But yeah, yeah, no, definitely. There's a lot to there's a lot to laugh at, but but affectionately laugh at. I think people cool. laugh with it, I guess. Yeah, yeah. And any any big episodes cause of, of the big TV series that are out there, and, you know, you've already done a few. Do we have a, a, a big one coming up? Do you have anything? Yeah, next uh, the next the next two are um, The Wire, which is obviously massive. Hell yeah. And the one Hell after yeah. that will be uh, Deadwood, which is um, sort of actually ties into this episode of Six Feet Under, but we'll come to that in a minute. But yeah, like oh, cool. uh, they're, they're two episodes, they're two shows that definitely are in a lot of people's like top fives and top tens and stuff like that. And I had two really good guests on. So yeah, they're, they're episodes I'm looking forward to. Awesome. Awesome. Good to hear. And sort of spoiling it uh, for the moment, but me and Sean, we are going to do something of a, of a true blood from first to last. Yes. And we're going to tie, it was your genius idea. <laughs> we're going to tie in... Uh, because uh, Alan Ball also created and did True Blood and obviously Six Feet Under, what we're talking about uh, from Alan Ball and just sort of, I mean, obviously talk about True Blood, but kind of compare how it is with Six Feet Under. Um, that is all Sean's brilliant genius idea. He just hit me up one day with this and I'm real excited to do that and yeah. go revisit. Uh, Crossover episode. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> uh, without much further ado, Sean, if you want to uh, get into today's episode, our episode aired April 14, 2002, and like I said, the episode is titled Back to the Garden, and our death capsule starts out with Jeffrey Shapiro, who we learn later is a lawyer, mm-hmm. uh, soon-to-be partner, yeah. uh, comes home, uh, pops in a porno movie, drops his pants, puts a lemon wedge in his mouth, uh, starts going to town on himself, 
while also choking himself to mm-hmm. the point of asphyxiation. Yep. And Jeffrey Shapiro dies. Uh, first thoughts when you had seen this? Uh, well, um, I, th- I think I t- talked about this last time I was on. Like, I I didn't watch all of Six Feet Under uh, mm-hmm. when I first watched it because I watched it when I was like seventeen, right? And I had no idea. And so every episode of the second season, I can't remember where I stopped watching. So every time I listen to your podcast, I get to a certain point where I'll be like, oh no, I haven't seen this one. I haven't seen this one. And then you or your guest will be like, oh, and then this thing happens. Like, oh no, shit, no, I have seen that one. So when <laughs> when this one, I was like, back in the garden, that doesn't sound very familiar and all that. And then like three seconds in, I was like, oh, it's this one. <laughs> it's the Pixie <laughs> Wank episode. Oh, I've seen this. Because this one, you know, obviously, as, as you always talk about, like when the show sort of dates itself. And obviously this yeah. one, he takes a VHS check tape out. Which is <laughs> yeah. But also that thing of like autoerotic, autoerotic asphyxiation being like an exotic thing that not many people know about. I feel like that is quite dated because I think everyone sort of knows what that is now. I think it is like a cultural, not a cultural phenomenon, but a cultural like thing that people know about. I think, or maybe it's just me. <laughs> well, <laughs> what else do you know about showing that we don't know about? <laughs> yeah. No, uh, <laughs> uh, here's what's funny. It's like, even even when I watched this this death capsule, I sort of was wondering, what is he doing? Like, even, I, I, it's hard to explain, but like, even knowing what he was doing, mm. I just, I, me personally, right? I just, I don't know. I mean, I knew what he was doing. I do wonder, like, how, like, if I could poll people, poll the audience and just, as soon as this scene cuts, like, did you know what he was doing? Did you know the, the point of it? Because, I mean, later in the episode, and again, we're in 2002, so we're 15 years ago, mm. they make it a point where Rico literally tells the audience what he was doing. You know, he goes step by step of everything. Yeah, that's um, it, yeah. Which, but, which feels as though it's like, oh, no one's going to know what this is. So we better right, be sure right. now. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But our episode starts out with uh, sort of like a misdirect dream mm-hmm. where David comes to Keith, uh, professes his love. Uh, they start making out. And then we have Keith waking up. Uh, it's quite a bit of a difference we've seen in their relationship where usually it's the one David doing the dream. And, mm. and now it's Keith, you know, yearning for David. Did you get fooled out by that dream scene? I did because it like. Well, I, I, it's sort of like when it first started and like David falls into the house and he's like been out in the rain and all that. I was like, well, mm-hmm. this is this is a bit rom-com sort of. <laughs> yeah, and then when they yeah. started making out and the camera was spinning around, I was like, oh, this is. I, yeah, right, I was like, right. oh, David's dreaming. And then yeah. when it was Keith, I was like, oh, shit. No, that's oh, that's new. That That's why. Yeah. Like he's usually so much more. He's less flighty, isn't he, than David. So there's like he, he's more business. Whereas David obviously is off in his little flights for fancy, so I think that was I think that's a good way for the show to sort of to show uh, it, it shows the extent of Keith's feelings towards David that he would actually start to have like these sort of Meg Ryan dreams about him. Like, <laughs> that's good. Yeah, yeah, no, of course. We we've seen uh, what's funny is Keith's dream is somewhat plausible. Hmm. I mean, you know, there's the dramatics of, of coming coming there in the, in the rain soaking wet. Because if you remember some of David's dreams, it was uh, there was an episode in the, the first season where they're feeding the homeless. And one hmm. of the homeless guy goes rogue and pulls out a gun. And Keith kind of does the Superman thing and jumps in front of, yeah. you know, to your point, like, yes, David has these 
actual like you know quote unquote dreams and keith is rather plausible it's just him coming home in the rain and everything uh something i always do during our episodes i put the episode on in the background and just as we talk about it okay along. i want to i want to go back to the uh to the death capsule because uh this was one of the episodes where they had commentary from the director right and uh, again this impacts the story zero uh but the porno that that he pops in and they show uh that is all people they hired like yeah. that was a directed six feet under porn there's no uh that's not like borrowed or anything from anywhere else that's they hired all these people to shoot that porn scene just for that opening capsule Amazing. Um, just a little tidbit <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah we see taylor has an upset stomach and we'll get into exactly her, you know, the cause of her upset stomach later. But uh, we finally see the long coming breakup of Eddie and Keith. Uh, Keith is majorly stressed, as we see, and he's still uh, reeling from that civilian he shot in a prior episode. And, you know, just the stress of taking over. Their breakup, you know, he... <laughs> it's kind of funny because they're breaking up and something something about stuffing that up your white ass. Yeah. I, I didn't know how to take that. I mean, they, they, they make it a point to say white. Yeah. And and then, and also Keith's like, that that's the thing that hits him. He's like, oh, you did not just call me white. You know, <laughs> that's the thing that sticks with him. What do you think he meant by that? Like, I... I, I I kind of like rewound it just to sort of what he meant by that. And, and I guess what I took it away was that he was referring to David, but it's not like David was, it's yeah. not like David was an issue here. So I, I don't know what he meant by that comment or is just something so fleeting, just so I'm going to say anything, you know, you, you have a small penis, you know, something yeah. like that. <laughs> I think it is just like a sort of almost like a stereotype of like, okay, well, black people are, like, cool and laid back and stuff like that, and mm -hmm. white people are sort of traditionally very uptight and stressed out. And maybe it's just right, that, maybe right. it's just saying, like, basically the way you're acting now where you're, like, um, just uptight, you know, fun, that's 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 yeah. very white of you, you know, that, that sort of thing. Yeah, that's... that's the, the problem sometimes doing with these podcasts and you do it episode by episode is if, if, if I hear or see something that doesn't quite fit, I start going into analyzing mode and I dig myself in this hole where it's like, well, maybe he meant this. And it's like, yeah. or yes, kind of like you said, it just, it was just sort of a flyby comment that, you know, he was just comparing the two. Mm. Um, yeah, I'll go with your explanation over mine. Miss <laughs> uh, <laughs> Shapiro is in to make arrangements for her husband and we meet Rabbi Ari who will be conducting the service. And after Ms. Shapiro breaks down and or basically just kind of shows her grief, mm. David, uh, you know, always being businesslike and not, you know, not not doing uh, funeral directors like me any favors just kind of by showing how heartless he is, you know, uh, he just quickly, you know, he says, so, you know, will you be conducting the service here? And the rabbi says yes, because the conditions, mm. uh, you know, surrounding his death Uh I don't know. And again, a lot of this, when we, do, when we talk about, uh, you know, Six Feet Under or a TV show, you have to give it a lot of liberties. But I know where, where my mind went was, how did anyone know hmm. that that's how he died? We're assuming that everyone knows uh, Mr. Shapiro died by this autoerotic asphyxiation. I don't know, just the idea of like, I, I guess it, it got out. I, I don't know. Um, I, I'm assuming, did that even reach your mind at all? Or was that just sort of a... I, fly under the, the weather. I, I just sort of thought that... 
Because it is, it is quite confusing, because I was talking to my wife about this last night, like we walked to the shop and I was talking mm-hmm. about auto-erotic asphyxiation, um, just in passing. <laughs> just I was like, I was like okay. talking about the episode, I was like, yeah, this is, she's like, so what are you going to be talking about tomorrow morning? I was like, ah, uh, this, this guy <laughs> goes into a room. Um, but I, because I, I sort of said like, well, they talk about him as though he's committed suicide. Like basically someone's coming, like the wife's come in and found him and he's hanging and she's sort of just assumed. But then obviously there's a, there's a porno on, but I guess you could say, okay, it's a VHS. So maybe the VHS has just run it, run to the end. And he's just, <laughs> you know, it's just white noise or whatever on the TV. So she's not going to instantly right. see the porno. But then, <laughs> you know, he does have his pants. Well, I think it's a say he's got his pants around his ankles. I think that's what she, she says. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I guess I think this ties back into what I was saying at the start about how like how exotic that that was in two thousand and two that she wouldn't instantly mm-hmm. come in and be like, "Oh shit, this is what he was into," and just instantly <laughs> put it together, you know? Right, um, right. Because it, obviously it takes Rico to sort of have have spoken to the because it sounds like he's spoken to the coroner or he's spoken to like a detective or someone who said like this is what we were found. So I don't know, it, it, it sort of struck me as quite odd because there was enough clues to think like, oh, this wasn't suicide, or this wasn't intentionally suicide. This was a guy who's gone into gone into this shit and gone too far. <laughs> Which yeah, it was obviously yeah. must happen to people. It happened to Bill from Kill Bill, and uh, it yes. possibly happened to Michael Hutchins from In Excess. That's still up for debate. Yes, and you know what's funny about that? The, 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 the director on the commentary saying said that that's where they got the they didn't they didn't name him by name mm. what's the band again in excess, in excess? it's an Aussie okay. band yeah yeah I, I i know of them um i i didn't know how how one of them had died like that but the direct uh the director on the commentary said that that was the inspiration for this particular death capsule uh i don't know if at the time the the, the guy from kill bill I think he that was recently. That was recently, yeah. That was in yeah. Yeah, they found him in a closet in Bangkok. It was all very, very odd. Oh, Jesus. But yeah, like because when I said to my wife about this, she was like, "Oh, like Michael Hutchins, uh, from <laughs> NXS. And I was like, "Yeah, yeah." Because she, she was like, "Oh, this this must have been before Michael Hutchins." I was like, "No, no, no. He's referenced in the show." And she's like, "Well, that's that's yes, how everyone yes, knows he is, about he is. it." Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's it's I think it was massive in Australia. Like in excess were massive in Australia and massive in England. And it was quite like sordid tabloid stuff of like you know this singer yeah. does this. But yeah. <laughs> oh boy. And uh, <laughs> we move on to uh, Brenda. Brenda meets her mother Margaret for lunch, and when these two are on screen together, it, it's always a treat, you mm-hmm. know, to to see one narcissist try and top the other. Uh, here, when Brenda tells her mother she's engaged, uh, you know, I just sort of laughed as hard with Margaret. If you remember, she's just like, well. I'm engaged, and it's it couldn't have not been. I, I don't think she could have expressed it that she's engaged with any less enthusiasm. Yeah, and Brenda counteracts with with laughing when when Margaret tells her she you know she's living alone. The two of them are are, are laughing so loud and obnoxiously at each other. Mm. You, you know, the other one's just trying to cackle louder louder than the other one. It, it felt like to me, it felt like a like a bad comedy sketch. Yeah. You know, just like, all right, you guys are way overacting here. But I mean, the, the two of them together—they're—they're they're lacking, lacking the word what it is. It's just two two balls of energy. When they mm. they they interact, it's just you know you yeah. get this this explosion of laughter or whatnot. I I I hate that those characters. <laughs> I, <laughs> I I did put my notes as like, who who is this 
for this plot line? Who who benefits from it? I don't, don't think benefits <laughs> is the word, but like I saw just every time Margaret comes on screen, I'm like, oh my god, I hate that this character is so awful and yeah. Or not even like unrealistic. I know people like that. I've encountered people like that, and you're like, oh, they they do nail down one of these people who um, <laughs> are just a born a born wanker. Just you know, everything they say is out. To, conversation is yeah. exhausting with them because they can't turn it off. You know, it's just always yeah. on. It's always that sort of level of like obnoxious rudeness and yeah, um, yeah. yeah i don't know i just find it really frustrating uh, i i guess i guess because i'm trying to think here it's like well why why is the margaret scenes why are it why are they in these episodes and i i guess i i would let credence to the fact that i guess it's to show why brenda is the way she is yeah because you know it, it's it's i believe strongly in that like you are how your parents you are your parents mm. you're just you're just a somewhat you know, filtered idea of them. Um, But I think, I mean, you could see exactly why Brenda is the way she's here. And that's great writing because they're obviously not really, you know, mother and daughter or whatever. But yeah, I'm with you. I I cringe. I I used to cringe during the Brenda scenes when she's not with Nate. But now putting this lens on where I have to analyze everything, I I find it hilarious. You know, it's just, it's like two kids just trying to impress each other. (laughs) Yeah. You know, I have, I have, I have $10 and the other kid's like, well, I have two $5 bills, so I have more, you know, <laughs> sort of something like that. Yeah. Yeah, no, I'll, I'll definitely go with that. Like you. Uh, the funeral directors are in the embalming room discussing the details of Mr. Shapiro's <laughs> case. And here, Sean, I don't know if you had picked up on it. Uh, Nate is eating a sandwich. Uh, I have that in my notes. <laughs> I wanted to ask you about that. I had eating, question mark. Eating, you know, just to set it up for the audience, uh, he's eating a sandwich and it, the sandwich is on a plate, but he's putting the plate on the embalming table. Wow. And they don't even, it, it's total, looks like just, you know, everyday happenstance. Mm. I mean, besides it being against the law, because at least in America, it, it's, it's against the law to have any food or drink in the embalming room. Oh, okay. So, I mean, but on top of it just being gross, right? Yeah. Um, I mean, on top of it being against the law, it's just gross. Like, yeah, yeah, it's like where his plate was was someone's, you know, sort of at the bottom of the embalming table. You know, someone's leg was there, and there there was blood running down that table and embalming fluid and everything. That's just gross. It's it's really funny you picked up on that because it's yeah, that's wildly disturbing. Yeah, no, that that is awful. It's just such an odd setting to just like. Uh-huh. Well, I guess. As well as sort of, it does offer a little character piece as well because you do get the thing of like, David hasn't, you know, dragged him by his hair out of the embalming room for eating. Mm-hmm. You know, he's like, mm-hmm. oh, whatever, this is what it is. Like, yeah. David's got bigger fish to fry. Like, so there is that. But yeah, that that instantly struck me. Like when they're talking about, you know, they're talking about the autoerotic stuff, and then he's just eating a sandwich, and there's a dead body. Like, this is just <laughs> horrible. I'm not into this at all. Sometimes I do get the question is like, do you eat while you're doing it? Uh, not like this. Again, Nate Nate isn't embalming, right? Mm. But the idea of just kind of sitting there with your lunch in the embalming room, I'm not saying it's not done. Yeah. Right? Because I, I, I'm not inside of every prep room. And while it's against the law, like so is jaywalking, right? Yeah. I'm just saying 
if I were to eat in an embalming room, I would not use an embalming table as my, my, my place setting, you know, for my food. <laughs> but another thing I added, if you picked up on it, there's sort of a weird camera angle. Mm. And it's sort of like off kiltered. Uh, in my first my first rewatch, I, I assumed because the topic that they were discussing is, you know, Rico's explaining the whole autoerotic uh, yeah. asphyxiation. When I listened to the commentary, it was just the way to fit everyone in the shot. Uh-huh, they yeah, had tried. Yeah. yeah, it was just one of those things that I'm sitting there trying to decipher and everything, and then listen to commentary, and he's just like, "Yeah, it's just the easiest way we could fit everyone in the shot." So, yeah, well, it, it works both ways. Yeah, right. Just, just because, yeah, just yeah, just because it is to fit everyone in the shot does not mean that we can't have that takeaway either. Like, yeah, that, that's a yeah, that's Every, a good everything. Point. Everything's done on purpose. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And here we see that Keith calls David to let him know him and Eddie have broken up. And that's kind of all he tells him. Yeah. You know, because I, I laughed when David ends the phone call with, well, thank you for telling me that. Bye. Yeah, I am hanging up now. Click. <laughs> yeah, it's just. But, you know, later, right, we see David calls Keith back to ask why he called. And. I, I got a total like elementary high school yeah. game vibe going on, right? Keith is playing the game, you know, <laughs> albeit a familiar one with David. But you know, like later when they when 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 David calls Keith and Ruth comes down comes downstairs, she takes a few steps and she's just like, you know, uh, David, are you going to come up for dinner now? And he's like, No, mom, not right now. You know, mm. and then you know, and and David's all flustered and he's like. You know, Keith's like, well, you called me, so you tell me what you want. And, uh, it just all so childish, but I kind of love it. It's kind of adorable between the two of them, right? Oh, no, they're, they're cute as anything. I think in my notes, it literally says how fucking cute are Keith and David. Like, <laughs> I, um, I loved it. Like, when you've got, like, David's, you say David's all flustered in work, and then he's phoning Keith, and Keith's in the cop car with the, with the other cop, who, again, is yeah, eating yeah. a huge amount of food. And the, and the other cops sort of like ribbing him and like, oh yeah, is that David? Is it, you know, just giving him, and it was, it's cool. I love to see stuff like that because I think in 2002, that would have been quite mind blowing. The idea of like, they haven't gone for the lazy plot line of like the two cops and one of them's gay and one of them's a bit of a homophobe. It's like, nah, this is just this other cop. Yeah. We may never see him again, but he's just a cool dude. He's just like, you know. He's just ribbing his partner because his partner's calling the, you know, calling his boyfriend. Yeah. Like, and it's great. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. And, and you know what's funny too? Like later when David's in bed, he he's like reading something, but it's just so funny. It looks like a like a little kid studying for a test. Yeah. Um, but there's where we sort of learn that Keith's uh, agenda is to invite David out for dinner. Yeah. At the start of Mr. Shapiro's service, right? We see David has some, uh, you know, as Nate calls it. <laughs> it's just so funny oops i didn't know i was sexy stubble <laughs> yeah. you know <laughs> just seeing a grown man the two uh, david right just seeing a grown man like him go through this is is yes like you it's just so adorable yeah these two men dating and we know the end game right like we know as the audience and i guess david knows too it's just i guess when you're in it you, you can't see it yeah you know keith's calling him to like hey i'm single now what's up you know <laughs> yeah that's it and, and it's i think again it's just a very cute thing of like uh that like nate is is the beard whisperer you know he's like oh okay it'll be by noon tomorrow it'll be perfect and stuff like <laughs> yeah. that and, and david's sort of like 
not saying to him like, oh, I don't know what you're talking about, but still asking his asking for his advice. And yeah, sort of, yeah, yeah, no, yeah. It's it's very good. It's very it's very cute and like um, yeah. the 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 yeah. I think it's great that sort of I, there was something that's really odd about this episode, not really odd, but very different in the sense of like Brenda and Nate. And well, it actually goes back to when I first watched it as a teenager. And I would sort mm-hmm. of focus on the Brenda and Nate relationship because that was something I could understand just in the sense yeah. of it being a boy and a girl. Um, mm-hmm. Whereas, like, I, I, I sort of thought to myself as a teenager, well, I can't take anything from... I can't see myself in the Keith and David relationship because it's so different to anything I would ever know. And right. then watching it now, I was like, oh, yeah, shit, I've totally been that guy. I've totally <laughs> done that whole, you know, sort of talk to someone as though I'm not playing a game, but I've been clearly playing a game and <laughs> I've been gamed and I've done right. the thing. Like, literally before I got married, I remember like timing when I would have a shave. So the day I got married, I'd have just <laughs> the right amount of facial hair to look good on the photos. You know, so yeah, I mean, I now I look at the Brenda and Nate thing and I'm like, I can't see myself anywhere here. This yeah, is just two yeah. complete strangers. And then Keith and David, I'm like, oh, shit, that, that takes me back, you know? That's totally, yes. If I had to compare my dating my dating life, my dating relationship, yeah, I'm with you. I, I am, and again, I, I'm a straight man. I, I totally can identify and see myself within the, the David-Keith dating, you know, realm yeah. more than I could ever the, the, the Nate and Brenda. There's just too much there. And I've said it on the podcast plenty of times. Like, I still have trouble... Yeah. Where we're at now in the relationship, I have a better grasp on it because there's there's just wild shit going on. But yeah. I can sort of see where it's coming from. Earlier, I, I was kind of at a loss, just like I, I don't know what's going on here. But you know, you have David clearly yearning for Keith and uh, you know struggling with everything. Um, yeah, that, that's a that's a great point you brought up. Yeah, it is just yeah. I guess lo- it's just the universal cute love. It's like it doesn't matter who it's between. I've been there. I know what that is. Cool. Uh, quick scene where Nate meets Melissa, uh, Brenda's client, escort friend. And, you know, the funny moment where, where Melissa's like, well, you know, they're all talking and there's sort of this sarcasm, you know, mm. going on with, with Nate and everything. And Melissa goes like, hey, you're not one of those couples that <laughs> bickers uncomfortably in front of other people and then go have sex later, right? Uh, the way Brenda emphatically says no and Nate kind of follows his lead. <laughs> when they're just like no 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 they're just you know chirping on one each other great job by the two of them masking yeah. their unhealthy awful terrible relationship you yeah. know and it, it's funny like brenda nate can't even know that brenda's friend is an escort yeah and here you know despite what we just talked about i put myself in nate's shoes where okay. if my girlfriend had shown up with a brand new friend, and this isn't like they just first met, you could see they're kind of just hanging out, kind of having girl talk. Yeah, I'd be like, yeah, where did this girl come from? How did I never hear about, why is she in, that's not my house, right? But why is she in your house and I've never even heard of her? But, I mean, Brenda has this huge secret going on, you know? Mm. Yeah, yeah, it's... Well, I mean, I guess it is. that is sort of the theme of the episode, isn't it? It is sort of... True, true people's secret sex stuff, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, starting with Shapiro and then all the crazy shit that Brenda's getting up to and then obviously Ramon. 
Um, <laughs> well, you know what? Yes, that's a great point. There's a lot. And you know what, too? And we'll, we'll, we'll get into it right now. Uh, what's going on with, uh, with Sarah's, which are her, not hot yeah. fest, howl weekend. Yeah. There's just sort of tits everywhere. And it's, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I mean, to get, to get into it, right? Claire, uh, after some grief with Ruth is heading up to aunt Sarah's house who we met in the prior episode, uh, to spend a weekend mm-hmm. and we learn it's howl weekend at Sarah's place. Before I give the explanation that HBO gives, do you know, have you ever heard or do you know what Howl Weekend is or something like this? I know what Howl is. I know it's the Ginsberg poem, but I didn't realize. I don't know what Howl Weekend is. Well, until this episode, right, I didn't right, know. Right, right, Because, uh, uh, you know, according to HBO, they, they says it's an excuse for aging hippies to get together mm-hmm. and read poetry, do drugs, and yep. dance naked in the great outdoors. Yep. Cool, that seems about right. That seems what the <laughs> Yeah. And when Hal Weekend starts, you know, they're doing some obvious, right? Like I just said, hippie music and poetry reading. And we see Toby show up with his mom and, you know, that she brought magic mushrooms. Yeah. This, this party, I mean, that's amazing. You know, it's just like, here's Toby's, I forget her name, but here's Toby's mom with the magic mushrooms. Mm-hmm. Totally inhibition, uh, you know, just totally living life, I guess, however you want to call it. What, what, obviously, they're hippies and, and whatever you think about hippies, but if you take away everything from it, and if you're in that lifestyle, it must be an amazing, fun weekend. You oh, know? Sure, and we yeah. see it, right? Because they're all passed out after. You know, I've never been passed out from a party in God knows how long. Um, but the idea of Hal Weekend seems fun, right, I guess? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it is one of those sort of things like... I think on paper it sounds awesome, but I think it is your tolerance of hippies that would be the sort of um, the deal right. breaker. So, yeah, I'm all about, um, yep, yeah, I can handle poetry, some of the music, drugs, <laughs> but I feel like the conversations would drive me insane. I feel like there's a lot yeah. of like, talking about, um, I don't know, fucking spirituality and channeling yeah. Ginsburg's ghost or whatever just, yeah a lot of a lot of weird stuff that i'm not into right I, w- I was quite happy with one thing though like when they're talking about nathaniel and they said um oh you know nathaniel nathaniel will be there with his, with his rolling machine right right that was pretty cool and i i used to have a rolling machine that was my that was my thing i could just like i just had this rolling machine i just rolled joints like that's like boom just this like wow, little machine just pumping them out Ugh. but probably <laughs> Not anymore, though. Any any FBI that right. are listening to this podcast? <laughs> That's in the past now. Uh, the digging six feet under incriminating podcast. <laughs> yeah, this is how get me. Um, if we can move to uh, Rico for, for a moment. Uh, yeah. Rico is getting some work done in his house, uh, you know, from the mold we saw from the prior episode. And his brother Ramon is there to help him remove this mold. And sort of like the dream sequence, right? Like the show does a, as an intentional misdirect yeah. by showing Vanessa is sort of flirting with Ramon. Yeah, 100%. I would, yeah. Like, yeah, like just the way she just stands there, watches him work. And, you know, Rico obviously is, is picked up on it. And he's like, you know, you don't have to stand there. And he's like, all right, I'm leaving. And he's, you know, sort of going out the door. Later, you know, Rico... Sort of, I guess, childish too, right? Right, like yeah, the way he's like lying to, like the way he he lies to Nate. It's like, oh yeah, I gotta go do this and whatever, and he's just clearly going to check up on Vanessa. Veiled behind him, you know, 
he, he walks in, lifts up the plastic, and we see Ramon, his brother, right? Ramon's mm-hmm. his brother. Uh, and he's, yeah. I'm pretty, yeah. And he's having sex with another man in Rico's house. Yeah. The first thing, I mean, Rico's flip out, right, <laughs> is, is, is pretty hilarious. Yeah. Um, Rico drops, and I counted, right? How, how many how many f bombs do you think he drops here in this in this whole <laughs> fit of rage he drops? Just to see if you you know the scene lasts a minute from the moment he catches them until end scene. There's a minute and thirty seconds. Uh, I was gonna say ten, but that doesn't feel like enough. Um... <laughs> no, you're, you're you're very close. It's thirteen. Oh. So <laughs> you know one one f bomb per ten seconds. Amazing. Um, <laughs> and we we've seen in the past from Rico that he does have this sort of homophobia. Yeah. Um, not condoning it, right? But. I know why Rico says what he says, but regardless of right, straight or gay or, or whatever, 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 it's highly inappropriate and disrespectful, right? Oh, like yeah. we could we could agree on that regardless of sex or, or sexual orientation. Oh no, definitely. I mean, the way he reacts, like the, the words that he uses, I'm not happy with. But I think if he had ripped up that thing and Ramon had been there with you know, Mrs. Ramon or whatever, that would have been bad enough if he'd been there with his mistress, if he, you know, whoever, you know. The, yeah, that's a, that's a just, good point. That you I, just don't do yeah. it, like. Yeah. I think it is going to sort of, um, yeah. I, I mean, I, I sort of half remember what happens in, like, future episodes with this, but yeah, mm-hmm, it's, mm-hmm. yeah. Something funny from the commentary that when they were shooting this, right, and, you know, we see, like, that the guy Ramon was having sex with sort of walks out and, and Rico pushes him, right? Yeah. Uh, the guy the guy was saying on the commentary that they just kept having cast and crew people walk through there <laughs> <laughs> so that there was, like, 14 people having sex behind there. Uh, but, you know, funny with, with Rico's storyline that we could kind of close it up here because, you know, later, you know, when Ram- Ramon's wife shows that she has no idea what went on and this being his sister-in-law you know uh does uh, does rico have any obligation to say anything like there, there's a certain man code right <laughs> um, but we're, we're talking marriage here and that is that is his brother right yeah do you do you think there's any obligation for rico to say something or just leave it as or did Rico do it right? Like, just sort of leave it the way it is. I, I didn't... L- l- let me add, too. I don't know if Vanessa knows. I'm pre- No, she doesn't know, right? Because she's like, you're pretty weird. So Vanessa doesn't know. But the idea of, the idea, the idea of a man code... Um, what, I think Where it's... do you think Rico's place is? I, 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 I don't know. Because, I mean, that... Obviously, this has never happened to me. But I think... I, I feel like if you're the one who sort of tells... It is, I think it is one of those situations, and if, like, there is a bit of a theme of this episode, I guess, with people acting childish or, like, high schoolers, because yeah. I think that there was that thing of, like, when Rico comes home and he, like, pulls up the thing, expecting to see his brother having sex with his wife, his own wife, <laughs> right, he's sort of like, right. ha like, I've caught you, like, hey, that's the mother of your children that you might be about to see. But I, right. I think it's, the gotcha moment is, like, is worth it, which is quite immature. But, yeah. Um, oh, so I lost my thread, immaturity, yeah, so I mean, I think the immaturity of, like, if Rico, uh, sorry, Rico's got to just be mature to think, okay, well, this is what it is, oh, sorry, okay, let me circle back, go so ahead. I feel like it is, like, one of those high school things where, say, um, 
you're, you're you, you know someone you know someone's cheated on someone and you're the one that breaks the news you might end up getting blamed even if you're blameless you're, <laughs> you're the one who gets the heat so yeah, if he goes to so right. mrs ramon and so says good. yeah this is what ramon's been up to i feel like rico just ends up looking like shit if he goes to vanessa and tells her and she spills the beans rico looks like shit there's no, there's no way this doesn't end. If Rico opens his mouth, there's no way it doesn't end with it all coming back on him. No one's going to congratulate him for it. No you one's are... going to like him for it. Just, it happened, put it in a box, put it in the back of your head, never think about it again. I mean, I you're, you're a thousand percent, and I did, that didn't even cross my mind. I was just thinking of his moral obligation. Uh, mm. I, didn't think, I didn't think further past that. You're so right where, yeah, he would get blamed. Like there's not there's not gonna be this like, oh Rico's right. It's gonna probably be denial, hmm. and you know because I, I imagine there there's there's an idea that this is not cheating, yeah. Right. Putting myself in Rico's shoes. See, I don't know my 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 my, my moral stance, whatever, sort of fluctuates when there's <laughs> is there's a marriage and kids involved. I don't know if Ramon has kids, and it doesn't impact anything to the kids. I just there's a whole large to do. I probably would keep quiet, but yeah. after thinking about it and like what you just said, like yeah, no good comes of it. No one, no one benefits, yeah. and in I mean, the I end, think, it's probably going to get come back on me. Yeah, I think the 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 act you need to take obviously is to go and see your brother and talk to him about it and say, yeah, so what's this yeah. about? How long is it going on for? Da 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 da, and and that. But obviously, that isn't Rico. Rico. I mean, who, I don't know what, I can't quite recall what's going to happen next, but Rico strikes me as the kind of person who, with his immaturity, with his casual homophobia, uh, would be the kind of person who would just uh, never speak to his brother again. No, yeah, yeah, I, you know. yeah, I'm with you on that. I, I, I personally don't remember either, but uh, if I had to bet, if you're making me bet money, I'm with <laughs> you. That, yeah. like he, That's just sort of, that's, that's the few episode arc where his brother is now written out because yeah. Rico can't just possibly handle that. Yeah. To move on to Ruth, who is making dinner for one, and Poor you know Ruth. it's obviously pretty. Yeah, it's so sad. This show kind of really leans in and hits us with that, right? Mm. That she's so alone in this whole big place, kitchen, and everything, and she's all alone. But we sort of see here that she had dinner plans with Nikolai, and yeah. as Nikolai cancels, the loneliness hits Ruth, and she asks Robbie to join him for dinner. <laughs> Ruth, <laughs> right? I love it. <laughs> Ruth with Robbie at dinner. Um, as only Ruth can, right? We'll yeah. see. We'll see. Robbie is the talking, droning on about himself, using all this plan talk. Yeah. And Ruth, with voiceover, that's you know verbally abusing Robbie. And and every everything she says, you know, I, someone would stick him in his throat or shut yeah. his mouth. The camera shows like just the throat, just the mouth, and whatever. Uh. When she finally says something, right, she does it, like, so politely, hmm. yet she totally, like, disarms Robbie, you know? And, and, and it's sort of insulting because it's so proper. Yeah. You know, it's just the politest, like, please shut the fuck up. Thank you. <laughs> you know? <laughs> I mean, she's, you know, just the... <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, you know, yeah, she says, I no longer need to use the metaphors that you were using that you helped me make a personal breakthrough anymore. Yeah. Was it just overflowing for Ruth that she sort of had her own breakout? Like, what yeah, was the boiling I, point for this? Yeah, I'm not sure because that is the sort of thing with with poor with poor Ruth, of the sense of like, 
I think one of your guests, I think it was the Invisible Woman episode, where it was this idea that she is like this intensely lonely woman who is like surrounded by loved ones all the time. Yeah, yeah. And is just vanishing into the furniture, like just disappearing. And then she sort of, I mean, it, she she is like incredibly, I mean, she's a wonderful character in the sense of like, she doesn't, she kind of goes into the plan, takes what she needs mm-hmm. from it. And then she's ready to just completely dispense with it to the point right. where she wants everyone else to stop talking about it. Like she's completely mm-hmm. moved past it. And she, I don't know, um, if you've ever seen any movies like uh, by Wes Anderson, like The Royal Tenenbaums or Life Aquatic, uh, or any of that, uh huh. She strikes me as being very much like the like a Wes Anderson character, like like you say that sort of thing, like very very polite, very affected the way she talks, and quite blunt. Um, and yeah, I just I just love it. I just love whenever she kind of goes on one of her little monologues. It's always genius, and Frances Conroy just sells everything. Like it's, I just, I just love it. She's such a character who you shouldn't enjoy watching because her plot lines are so sad. <laughs> but she's also, she also gets loads of the best lines. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, she's wonderful. She, she, yeah. It's such a perfect character, uh, actress in that hmm. role. Because again, and maybe it's just sort of that stereotyping for Six Feet Under. Because a lot of these things, it's like I can't picture anyone else. I, I don't know who would be in in, in Francis Conroy's range. Yeah. But I, I just, because she's so, she's so soft-spoken too, right? And and th- there's something at the end that I want to get into where she's singing that song. Yeah. But yes, she's so perfect in that. Um, and the Wes Anderson thing, definitely. There's definitely some of that there. Yeah. Uh, Brenda is over to visit her mother at her new place. Mm. And again, just saying before, you know, just the typical Chenoweth interaction. Uh, Brenda brings a cactus as a gift. And the comment here is so. This is stuff I didn't pick up on. Yeah. Because I just, I just saw the cactus. I was like, all right, whatever. But she goes, it doesn't. <laughs> can't even say it. It doesn't need watering or caring about it in any way. Yeah. The the two interactions between them, they're just so narcissist, and I, I forget what happens because I guess I I sort of tune out. But apparently, it gets too much for for Margaret, and Brenda has to see herself out, sort of yeah. thing. Yeah, like Margaret. Like her brave face sort of slips and she starts to, because she doesn't quite start crying, but she, I think she says, can you leave? I need to go and sit in the bedroom and sob for an hour. And then when <laughs> Brenda tries to help her, she is just like, no, I'm not Billy. You know, yeah, yeah. I'm not your little pet. You need to get out of here. <laughs> and I think in terms of the two interactions between the two of them, like that first one in the Japanese restaurant or whatever, I was like, this, I hate it. I hate every second of this. But that second one, I was like, okay, yeah, I do sort of get what this is. Um, yeah. And like I, to your point as well, you can just see exactly why Brenda is the way Brenda is. And I guess that sort of gives you a chance to have some sympathy for it. Because you are like, you didn't deserve this and you didn't choose this. She this had no choice. You, yeah. yeah. The, like that, that, her personality was chosen for her yeah. way before she could develop her own, you know? Yeah, that's it. David is waiting for Keith at their dinner date and gets a phone call that Taylor's in the hospital because of an appendicitis. The interaction here where, where they're at the hospital, it's just so telling of their characters because we, you know, Keith, it's not even illustrated to us. Keith literally says it that, you know, he's basically the, the ultimate perfectionist. 
Yeah. And, you know, the idea of a child getting sick, he can't even fathom that. He, you know, he's too perfect. And David's just like, hey, this is sort of a part of life to which mm. Keith can't accept, right? The way, yeah. the way Keith calls him a doormat, David just has yeah. the perfect response where he's like, am I really a doormat? <laughs> like it, yeah. <laughs> it's such amazing dialogue between the characters, you know. The idea of Keith being a perfectionist and not letting, you know, even Taylor be sick. Or just yeah. this sort of whole thing where now it's like sort of, I mean, he doesn't really do anything besides be there for Keith, but David to the rescue. And I'm putting rescue in quotes. Um, but their relationship here. Well, I think it is that thing, isn't it, of like, you, you even though he was sort of a fleeting character, you have to compare David with Eddie. Okay. And... Eddie's whole thing seemed to be drifting away. Yeah. And then, because I guess there is that thing as well of like, if you live with, because Eddie was a paramedic, I believe. Or an EMT. I believe so, an EMT, something like that. So I guess you do have that thing of like, oh, well, I lived with an EMT and the kid in my care got ill. So I had the tools and I had the resources to work this out and I didn't. Hmm. You know, and that, that's how useless Eddie was. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, well, it's actually funny because this is quite similar to something we talked about mm-hmm. the last time I was on your show about grief and about people just needing to be present and just needing to be there. Right. And that, and that is obviously what David represents because David, the, to skip sort of to the end of the, the sort of Keith David yeah, plot sure. for this episode, Yeah. after... David's uh, after Keith's been to see Taylor and they sort of had their little interaction and there is very much a sort of thing of like Keith's trying to be reassuring and Taylor's just sort of like no I was ill the whole time right there was right. never a point where I was dicking around like yeah whatever and when Keith leaves the room and obviously David's just slept there all night well that that's it that's that's a perfect embodiment of that of like David's not there holding Keith's hand or whatever, but he's just there. He's just there, exactly. He's just there, yeah. Yeah. To be there. Which is perfect. I mean that's that's that well, okay, so you think that's that's as soon as that you saw that, I was like, oh, they're soulmates. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Exactly and and it's 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 a nice step forward in their relationship because the show kind of starts out with their relationship on the decline. You know, yeah. we never get to see them at their, 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 their best, right? And here, here is finally, I guess this this episode in its entirety is sort of the step up, where you know, the, mm. the Eddie they break up with Eddie, and then here just Keith does, you know, he steps out of the hospital room and sees David sleeping there. Like, yeah, we, we finally get that that positive moment for them, and yeah, literally that yeah, just being there, you know, yeah. it's well said, and it's it's great, and that that sort of thing of like. You know, I think uh, the rabbi says to Nate of like, you know, your soulmate is the person that makes you the most you you can be or something like that. Mm-hmm. And they, then we establish that, you know, Keith wants to be perfect. Right. So I guess that's what David's going to help him do. Yeah. yeah. And Keith sort of helps David because David sort of has come out of his shell so much thanks to his relationship with Keith. <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's very, it's because yeah. it's good because it is that sort of thing like all the soulmate conversation happens in relation to Nate and Brenda mm-hmm. in the in the negative. Like you see how much they aren't that. 
Right, and then right. it's never mentioned with Keith and David, but you just see it in action. You could feel it, yeah. And mm. and and I've skipped over it so far. Just you know the interactions between Nate and the rabbi. To your mm. point, find it oddly weird that they are, he's talked more about this rabbi that he met in a day, sort of that than he's ever as deep, right? As deep as a conversation yeah. that he's ever shared with Brenda. What's funny too is that. They're sort of towing the line of, of flirting, right? Because they even talk about yeah. it, where it's, well, I wouldn't date you, and you know, who said I would let you date me, whatever. You know, the idea of Nate telling the rabbi that he hasn't told Brenda yet, I almost found that more appalling than him not telling Brenda. You know, that sort of another woman knows that Brenda doesn't know. Yeah. It was, was more disrespectful to me, if I could quantify it, that he hasn't told Brenda. Yeah, no. He's happy to tell people yes, about yes. the disease. Not even just about the <laughs> disease, but to tell people that he hasn't told her. Like, he's now, yeah, he's now told more people that he hasn't told her than, that, that doesn't make any sense. But yeah, you know, it's, it's absurd. No, yeah, yeah, like, that's, yeah. It's ridiculous. I mean, because I guess that is that thing, though. I mean, I don't know if it's been, like, spoken, but I guess he just thinks to himself, yeah, the second I tell Brenda, she's going to be like, no, nope, this is too much work. Gone. That's it. She's just going to ghost. Like, he just knows. And if he knows that, if you, if I had a thing where I thought to myself, oh, I can't tell my wife that I've got a terminal disease because she'll leave me, mm-hmm. I thought, well, I should probably get out of this relationship. Yeah, yeah. And I, I mean, their whole their whole relationship existence, right, is totally wrong. And again, whichever whichever side of the fence you want to sit on where they, they, they get engaged, right, and then there's, however you, whatever your idea is on marriage, but the idea of, you know, we're going to spend the rest of our lives each other, to each other. Hmm. I mean, Nate has an obligation to be like, I'll marry you, but I also sort of have this ticking time bomb that could go off at any moment. Yeah. But the idea that he tells this rabbi who he met, you know, earlier in the day, more than he's told his life partner. Um, but yeah, I, I, get, I, guess, I guess if you think that's too much of a burden for your partner then yeah, what's the point? Like, what are you doing? Other interactions with the rabbi, because I I just sort of, it's funny as we get a little bit into Six Feet Under, maybe it's just me, just a, a, this isn't taxing, right? This isn't tiresome, but just sort of analyzing everything. I I felt Mm. that the rabbi and Nate's interactions was heavy handed for me. I, I always I always like the subtlety and finding everything, but you know they're clearly talking, you know, in Nate. I, I guess in the end, Nate has to just quote unquote live his life, right? But yeah, your your takes or your ideas on their interactions and just just their storyline. Yeah, it was a bit of a weird. I mean, for the, the the whole episode was a bit weird in the sense of how disjointed everyone's plots were. Like everyone sort of had like all the main characters sort of had their own little plots that they were doing. Mm-hmm. So you just got like little little snippets of each one and nothing really had i guess really other than keith and david nothing really had a payoff mm-hmm. just sort of everything sort of moved and and yeah like you say there was very much that thing with nathan the the nathan the rabbi thing was getting to the point where it felt like it was going to be one of those things where it turns out the rabbi was a ghost you know and it was like <laughs> i've just been talking to myself you know yeah yeah like, that actress is actually, she plays Alma in Deadwood. That's the connection from this thing to Deadwood. And okay. I, I think she's amazing. But it, it it felt a little bit like a bit of a lazy um, writer's trope just to have this, like, complete stranger 
and the main character just opens up to them and sort of basically explains all of their motivations just to sort of catch the pe catch people up. Um, it's like whenever you see a TV show and someone's just like sat next to a stranger on a plane and they tell the stranger their life story or whatever. <laughs> and it's like, what's this for? This is all information that you know. But yeah, so you learn it all again. And I, I don't feel like there was anything... Like, like I say, the best thing about it was that they introduced the soulmate thing, which was a payoff for Keith and David. Yeah. Um, that wasn't even a payoff. Like, I guess it sort of was, because you did have that thing with, like, when Brenda and Nate meet up, and she wants to get all sexy and weird, and he just wants to have, like, romantic love. Mm -hmm. And it's like, yeah, you two idiots. Just <laughs> get as far away from each other as possible. It's not even subtle. Uh -huh. You're killing each other. Let me let me run in opposite directions. <laughs> let me set that up because that is something I wanted to talk about. But we, we see we see Brenda is bored and she's driving around. She calls her, oh, her yeah. friend Melissa for a drink. Uh, she's at a red light. This guy pulls up. They they give each other the eyes. They pull pulls over and they go have. Man, it's not till I'm reading this sentence that yeah, there's a lot of hidden sexual preferences, yeah. uh, uh, actions. That that's the theme of this episode, and I really didn't pick up on that till right now. Uh, but they they Brenda, this guy at a red light, they they go have sex in his car, and we just find out this is a dream sort of fantasy uh, scenario yeah. for Brenda. Back later, Nate has this whole revealing thing with the rabbi. When when Nate comes home to Brenda, would you say he uh, an introspective or, or reflective state? Right. Yeah, I right. I assumed he was going to tell her about the AVM. I yeah, thought that was yeah, it. Like when yeah. she was sort of like, oh, you can pretend we don't know each other and you can have your way with me. And right. he like stopped her. I was like, okay, he's going to say, uh -huh, I need uh -huh. to talk to you about something. And that's going to be the end of the episode. Yeah. And that did not happen. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it did not happen at all. Yeah. If I, I, I bet on my first watch, I probably thought that's where he was going to tell her. Yeah. But just to sort of set it up where Brenda wants this, this raunchy stranger sex. Yeah. She she's in she's in whatever that mode right and Nate like you said is in romantic mode you know he wants to and, and we what we end up seeing they end up having sex but it's 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 really really sad where yeah. Nate is is having sex and he's like I love you and he's kissing her and all the stuff and Brenda obviously Brenda being you know she's sort of in that fantasy mode so depressing Brenda just sitting there having sex just sort of taking it um yeah like you said what 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 nate wants and brenda wants right here right sexually completely different but it's it's symbolism for their relationship like yeah this isn't just a one night a bad sex thing this is this is weeks this is months of like awful awful relationship and like you said to your point yeah i, I again it, it's almost every episode i say this the two of them <laughs> should be farting, yeah, like you said, <laughs> so far away from each other because this is awful. Yeah. I feel bad for both of them because Nate wants that romantic sex and I, I guess he can't tell, right? Because his sort of head is buried in, in Brenda. But yeah, the idea of Brenda just sort of sitting there taking it yeah, couldn't I be mean, less enthused. Yeah, I mean, it is... I did read something about Six Feet Under the other day, like I was just sort of reading. I was reading about the last episode, the episode before this one. Okay. Um, and someone did make a point, which I thought was interesting, was like, you have to sort of remember with Brenda and Nate, their whole relationship starts with a fling in, in a an bathroom. airport closet. Right, right, right. And it's like, 
that in itself is is what it is. But then the thing is, though, then Nathaniel dies, and then Brenda is just put right in the center of this thing, and like that would just be ridiculous. You're like, okay, let's have a little little flirt with this uh, handsome guy, mm-hmm. maybe a little dalliance or whatever. And the next minute you're like comforting him because his father's died. And then <laughs> the next minute it's really heavy and really serious. And you're yeah. like, oh yeah, that is, that is a bit dark. Yeah, <laughs> that is a bit yeah. Weird. And, and that's the relationships of Six Feet Under, right? There's always that dark little twist to them. Yeah, that's it. And, and it, I mean, obviously it doesn't help that Brenda is, well, Brenda. <laughs> um, right right <laughs> she's going through her whole thing like it, it was an interesting sort of through line as well with this show uh this this episode there were i don't know four or five sex scenes in it yeah nothing sexy like there was never <laughs> no one was having fun oh i guess the porn stars were having fun right right and the guy you know it literally starts with a guy who sex <laughs> kills him you know and then that was sort of the thing that there was never a point where i was like oh go this is this is a bit saucy. I'm quite happy watching this. It was like, no, everything looks like um, filth in, right. in a bad way, right? Or right. A chore, you know? It's it's oh, it's just like yeah, just seedy weirdness or a chore. Like okay, so I guess that's what we're <laughs> going for. I wonder what it says about me for someone who watched this episode. I think three times that it's not until we started talking on this podcast that I did not even pick up on how sexual this episode was. Maybe just used to it in 2017, but. There, there's, there's like I, if I were to watch this, this, uh, this episode with with a parent or, or or a family member, like no fucking way, I would leave the room or I got a phone call that I couldn't watch this, you know, it's all <laughs> really uncomfortable stuff. If we can move back to uh, just Halfest, uh, yeah, cool. sort of tie up at least Halfest the, the weekend. Uh, Toby, which is the guy and is sort of Claire's love interest for the episode, they they watch everyone mm-hmm. partaking in Halfest and. Toby takes Claire away from the action to be alone, and it got me. It got me thinking. If you remember in the prior episode of what happened with Aunt Sarah with David and Nate, where David went, I'm sorry, Nate went to have sex with this 32 year old woman, and David got lost. This yeah. is like the weekend where it happened, right? Just sort of the way Claire uh, yeah. kind of shuffles off. Is is he probably? You know, Nate was probably was adorable to some 32-year-old and they were left off. David probably ran away from it. And it just got me thinking like, wow, this is probably exactly what happened however many years ago. Yeah, yeah, definitely. But when Toby and Claire are in this treehouse, I mean, for a 19-year-old, and again, there's like two ways to look at it. But I mean, he has some game, right, for like a 19-year-old. Like <laughs> he's, he's, he's pretty well – he's got game he's working on Claire. I mean, me, I wasn't buying anything that he was saying, but I was certainly impressed by it. You know, for, for a 19-year-old to say, I've had this major life experience. Uh, it's an yeah. eye roll, but I appreciate the effort. But I think he truly oh, believes yeah. it. I, I think he truly believes it. I don't think he thinks this is like game he's running, right? I think he's he truly thinks he's had this life experience. Oh, I mean, that's, that's the best kind of game. You believe the game. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> But yeah, when he said, oh, you know, I've had major life experience, I'm 19. I was like, oh, shut up. You know nothing. <laughs> You've done nothing. You've seen nothing. But yeah, I mean, it is, I think that's great. It is great writing because when you are 19, yeah, I mean, you're 19. So um, you're going to live forever. Mm-hmm. Uh, the future's bright. And yeah, you've, you've seen it all. You've done it all. You know, like some of these, you know, 
stupid 17-year-olds who haven't seen the world. You're 19. You're only 20 You're in a minute. You have 24 months more experience than that 17-year-old. You are. That's it. <laughs> yeah, no, that's, I find that fascinating. Like, um, I, uh, it, 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 and yeah, no, I can say it's great writing. It's great writing to sort of be like, yeah, that's exactly how a teenager thinks because mm-hmm. I know myself when I was like, 29 i was like yep i know nothing yeah (laughs) nothing i've seen nothing how funny is that idea the older you get the more you realize you know nothing like (laughs) (laughs) it's just like yeah i thought i had the world figured out at age 20 right i remember graduating school and being like oh my god this is so easy you know and then a few years later you're like jesus (laughs) how did i even get to this point and you sort of look back as well because i like I, when I was when I was twenty one, I that's when I moved overseas uh-huh. and I moved to Thailand to be a teacher, and um, I sort of look back on that now and get like a bit of a cold sweat of just like <laughs> why why was I a child allowed to travel to Asia to work? Why was that a thing? Why was that allowed? Oh, <laughs> they should have turned me around at the airport and been like, Nah, mate, oh, off shit. you go, little boy. Right. But no. <laughs> That's really funny. Well, obviously, <laughs> most people knew that by 20, you've had a major life experience, therefore. Of course. <laughs> uh, quick moment when, when Claire is leaving Sarah's place. Uh, I couldn't find the symbolism here, but in the beginning of the episode, it, let, me, let me say this. I couldn't find the symbolism. The waffles? Yes. Do you have, do you yes. have, let me set it up, right? That Ruth is eating waffles and they're, mm-hmm. they're Legos, so they're a circle, and Claire takes it without asking. And then as, as, as Claire is leaving Sarah's after the weekend, uh, she does the same, but with square waffles. Sarah asks Claire if she wants one, which she declines. Yeah. Did you, had, you, you saw it, you recognized it. Do you have anything on that? So I took it just on face value because like when, I think you actually might have hit on a better point, but we can, yeah. Mm-hmm. So when Ruth has hers, obviously she just has her circle waffles and she just gets like a bit of butter and puts it on and that's it and then when sarah has her waffles it's waffles strawberries cinnamon uh i think she puts chocolate sauce or maple syrup on it yeah yeah. and i think it is that sort of thing of like ruth and sarah as people represented as waffles (laughs) so ruth is very simple no nonsense butter and then sarah is all very exotic and wild and all that and she represents something a bit mad so she has all the fruit and the color and because even the butter um, is white, you know, it's, 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 it's <laughs> yeah, not good yeah. looking butter. It's not like good French, like yeah. great butter. Uh-huh. Um, so it's just like this sort of like microwaved and uh, microwaved, uh, toaster waffle, <laughs> white butter. And then you've got Sarah and she's got like, you know, syrup and strawberries and chocolate and shit like that. Yeah. But I guess to your point, it is that sort of thing of like Claire taking one of Ruth's, but not taking one of Sarah's sort of shows her loyalties, I guess, deep down. Yeah. Like, she sees herself more with Ruth than she does with Sarah. Yeah. But yeah, there was definitely must have been something. The waffles were too important not to be important. Too prominent not to be important. And I thought the commentary would have lent something to this, And but all he really said in this scene was just... Uh, when when Sarah's just going on, and it is it is rather beautiful, where she's just like, you know, we don't want Ruth to feel re- rejected, so let's don't. Yeah, it, that it, is nice. Yeah, it, it, it's like it doesn't make sense on paper, but just the way she says it, let's don't. It, it's sort of you know beautifully said. Uh, but hmm. to the waffles, I don't I don't know. I was just sitting, 
you know, just trying to come up with something. And yeah, and, and then because then I was thinking like, well, if anyone was going to be the square, it would be Ruth, right? I, I don't know if you've heard <laughs> yeah. the if you've heard the expression, you know, don't yeah, be a square. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then I just sort of my mind got like overloaded. I just went away with it, but it was there. If if someone who's listening to this episode and you have better insight as to what's going on with these waffles, definitely write let me in because it is it is a curiosity of mine. So I was like, well, yeah. they, 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 again, they made it a point to put these waffles there. Why? You know, to, we could close out our episode where Claire comes home from Sarah's and obviously, you know, Ruth is alone and as sad as can be, but Claire leaves behind this cassette that Sarah left for Ruth and Ruth pops it in and she sings as, as Claire looks on Ruth singing. Uh, it, mm. it, it's sort of beautiful, just the way she's kind of like in touch with the music that sort of reminds her of her sister and all of that. Uh, speaking on the commentary front, they said when, when they were gearing up for this episode, they have gave Ruth the song and they said, you know, this is going to be a scene where you sing. Uh, Ruth, Frances Conroy rather, apparently has a great voice because they said when she was singing, it sounded beautiful, just as good as the song, if not better. So they, sort, right. of, they sort of told her like, can you sing horrible because the scene is supposed to be sort of sad but beautiful. And yeah. now when I look back on the scene, it, it, the reason why it, that scene is so touching and haunting is because the singing is awful. There's that high-pitched you know, woman who can't sing yeah. sort of like if I was to sing. But if she was singing it beautiful like you know, with her real voice or whatever, like yeah, the scene would have not touched as much. It's it's the I don't know what the word is of a bad voice. I don't just want to say someone has a bad singing voice, but the uh, it's and I don't want to sound like a complete wanker, but it's the honesty of it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, no, yeah, no, I, I I guess yeah, yeah, I, I that's 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 the best word I, I I would say I could come up with that at the moment. I'm with you. I'm with yeah. you. Yeah, I, yeah, because it's sort of like if she could sing really well, it would take something away. But the idea that she isn't afraid to sing poorly implies that she has less she's had less inhibitions in her time i mm-hmm, guess mm-hmm. would be what i would take from that mm-hmm. yeah i just a, mm-hmm. a beautiful beautiful end to the episode with her yeah. just you know singing and that sort of wraps it up anything we we we, we missed or skipped on that you wanted to talk about sean did uh... i gloss over anything there, there was i guess it's there is a bit i can't really talk about it too much but there was like a bit of foreshadowing okay in the future at one point it was just one scene um and it was like a little tiny tiny dream sequence that felt a little bit sort of foreshadowing for the future but i can't really go into it without uh any spoilers okay other than that um yeah a bit of a weird episode quite disjointed and sort of i felt like a few of the plot lines sort of didn't have enough payoff for me i wanted the Rico thing didn't. I felt like it was just very much the first act of a bigger story, and I do hope they can. T- I I sort of remember something happening, but I can't remember if I've mixed up two shows. Yeah. So yeah, I'll be intrigued to see where that goes, because I feel like there's more to that story. I remember the Rico storyline happening later, where this happens, where it's this whole. It's a okay. big build up, and then this happens, but it's sort of the opposite that this seems to be the kicking off point for it. Yeah. I'm going to ask you about that dream off mic because now, now I'm curious and I definitely no spoil. I don't want to spoil anything because I do yeah. have listeners who this is their first go around. Uh, with that being said, uh, Sean, from your podcast, From First to Last, uh, 
you recently did the next generation uh, and you mm-hmm. have two big ones coming up you said the wire and deadwood uh yeah wire and deadwood and then after that i've got haven't recorded yet i think it's like hey arnold parks and recreation <laughs> movie special true blood nice dawson's creek That's... people keep fishing around dawson's creek <laughs> i want that one yeah we'll see <laughs> Good stuff, good, good stuff, man. And you are, uh, you could, they could listen to you on iTunes and on Stitcher, if I'm not mistaken, or Podbean. Uh, yeah, iTunes, Pod, uh, iTunes, Stitcher, and Podbean. Cool. And your Twitter handle, Sean? Uh, so my Twitter handle, personal one, is equiatic underscore bind, E-Q-U... Oh, I don't know. Victor will probably link to it. <laughs> Just follow that. I can't remember how to spell it now. I haven't got it in front of me, so I can't remember. And, and, um, your, and your Twitter handle for the podcast is at from first to last? No? Uh, yeah, uh, first to last pod. Okay. If I could butcher this anymore, I'll try. Um, oh, no, it's fine. I, <laughs> I, it's my, my Twitter handle, and I think on the show I've said it differently every That's episode fine. for 25 <laughs> episodes. Like, I don't know, first to pod? Don't know. Just, yeah yeah fair enough i'll link it in the show notes uh i would say definitely give sean Sean a follow because you you do you do you do a lot of like community i always see you doing something like top five or whatever or or a trilogy you're doing something with trilogies like sort of the best movie trilogies or whatever and yeah the the fun in it is that you get like all these wide (laughs) wide because uh man and i'm gonna blank out here someone had said oh god this is so stupid oh best finale best finale you wrote and, you know, everyone goes to the wire, six feet under, Breaking Bad, and so on. But someone wrote Dinosaurs. And I totally forgot how haunting that final scene is in Dinosaurs. It is so sad. But what's great about it is, like, I would have, for, I probably would have, I could, could have possibly gone into my entire life without going back to that. Until I saw yeah, that. Definitely. You know? And it's like, wow. Yeah, that's, that's what I'm looking forward to doing on the, on the, the podcast. Like, someone yeah. who's going to be game for that. We'll go from there. Yeah. Uh, you can listen to this episode and all prior episodes at diggingpodcast.com you can follow me on twitter I'm at diggingpodcast we're on facebook uh, under digging six feet under as always I I always invite anyone to ask questions or just give me their thoughts on the episode at digging six feet under at gmail.com and maybe I should have started the episode with this but Sean will be joining me next week as well to discuss uh, episode eight as we, you know, sort of go back to back so we're not totally in the dark. We can kind of pick up some stuff that we left off. And yep. so, yeah, join us next week as we'll be discussing episode eight. And thank you for listening, everyone. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Digging Six Feet Under podcast. Join us on the next episode as we review each episode of HBO's original television series, Six Feet Under. Please search and subscribe to us on SoundCloud and iTunes under Digging Six Feet Under. The Digging Six Feet Under podcast is in no way affiliated with HBO or Six Feet Under. And the views expressed here are solely that of the hosts. No infringement is intended.